Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Acquisitions Anonymous. Mill Stell, I'm joined today by Heather Andreessen and Michael Girdley, and we talk about uh, a very fun episode, very interesting, that I don't think we've talked about before, but it is a ready-to-distribute and ready-to-serve, which basically means like White Claw, White Claw, Truly, uh, Ranch Water, all these different kind of pre-mixed, but it's a, it's a vodka distillery that is in that kind of segment of the space. And uh, we talk about some of the different hurdles, a lot of the different regulatory constraints and, and aspects to those types of businesses, blue laws, CapEx associated with these businesses. Is it able to be financed by the SBA? Um, and what are some of the different constraints? So it's a fun episode. We, uh, we joke uh, that Michael was actually drunk the entire time and we had no idea uh, because he thought we were, we were testing the product midway through the episode. But fun episode. Thanks for joining us. And I hope you enjoy. I was not drunk, by the way. That was just a joke. <laughs> How dare you? (laughs) All right, enjoy the episode. Hey, Michael here. Want to talk to you about today's sponsor for the episode, uh, which is cloudbookkeeping.com. So cloud bookkeeping is actually run by my neighbor, Charlie. So I've met him in person and uh, can attest that he's a real human being and a good person. Uh, And what cloud bookkeeping does is offer a full suite of bookkeeping services uh, all in the cloud. Uh, for you around QuickBooks and other technologies that you're using as a small business owner. Uh, So if you're interested in getting the bookkeeping part of running a business off of your plate and focusing on running your business, uh, Charlie and his team are one to call. Um, They can put together a bunch of other stuff in terms of helping you manage and grow your business besides just bookkeeping, um, sophisticated reporting, uh, definitely helping you get your QuickBooks online set up in the right way. Uh, and a number of things around payroll as well. So uh, definitely know them and recommend them. If you want to find out more about Cloud Bookkeeping, um, you can go to their website at cloudbookkeeping.com. Reach out to Charlie. I know many of you have uh, and see if he can help you uh, make your running your business easier and more fun by uh, letting them help with a lot of the bookkeeping solutions. So, uh, and when you call, mention this podcast, uh, it would help us uh, and help Charlie know uh, that we're supporting him as well. So thanks a bunch and cloudbookkeeping.com uh, as the sponsor for today's episode. Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of Acquisitions Anonymous. It is 11 a.m. Eastern time. And I feel like we're not really doing this particular episode justice because we should be doing it at 5.05 p.m. And we should all have a very fancy mixed drink in our hands. We're really doing this wrong. But have we got a very enticing, intriguing, hot episode for today. Michael, take us away. Take us away. It's worth noting it's from our friends at Axial. Good people. And um, so, I mean, Axial, it's it's a combination of like, how would you describe it, Mills? The way that I describe it is kind of upmarket from biz by sell. And it's where investment bankers put, you know, put put their listings if they're going to list them anywhere. And there's not a ton of information here and that's that's kind of on purpose it's so that you you know go actually talk to the investment banker and you know get the teaser sign the nda get the sim um but this is it's the nature of finding better deals is that you're going to have to play in more competitive circles and you know this type of listing this type of of asset and company doesn't get sold on biz by sell for a reason you know and it probably doesn't get sold by kind of a main street business broker for a very specific set of reasons yeah I've been a member there for a while. It's axial.net. So 
I, I like it because it's where you start to find lower middle market deals and not necessarily like the small business stuff that's on biz by sell, which frankly is a lot of junk. But anyway, not that people would think that hearing that's the way we talk about deals on here. So, all right, I'll read this one. And then uh, we have our resident vodka expert here. Mills? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Heather. Talk. I was yeah, waiting for you to say Heather. Uh, look, Heather's new to the pod, so I'm waiting a little bit uh, to... You don't pick to, on her as much. No. Yeah, don't pick on me yet. No. Give me some time. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Anyway. All right. So this one, I'll go ahead and read it. It is a fast-growing, super premium spirit brand and distillery. And a summary here, the company is a leading distiller of American vodkas. The company markets a popular lifestyle brand that has successfully extended into the ready-to-drink and ready-to-serve categories. Long-term relationships with large national distributors have allowed its products to be enjoyed throughout the U.S. Total case volume was over 45,000 9-liter cases in 2021 and is forecasted to exceed over 60,000 9-liter. Is that not? It says 9L. Is that 9-liter? I think so. Nine uh, L cases. Let me Google it. <laughs> nine liters. Yeah. Okay. Are the on-premise versus off-premise channel split is sixty-five thirty-five. Okay. So on-premise means they're operating a facility where they're selling spirits and stuff directly to consumers. Is that the way you read that? I thought so too, but I think this probably means that like a bar is buying this and selling it. Ah. It's a wholesale type relationship versus uh, just being bought at a grocery store and people take it home. Okay. I, I, I thought the same thing because alcohol typically is defined that way, but I don't think I don't think that they're doing, you know, six million or no, it would be, I guess, maybe four and a half million dollars of sales, you know, in kind of a like, hey, drive over to our establishment and sit outside and drink vodka. What does ready to serve and ready to drink, does that sort of imply cans of like, it's already mixed in with something, some juices or whatever, and it's some kind of cocktail. So would a bar buy that? That's what I guess I'm a little confused by. So this category is crazy and you can find a bunch of really cool articles. There's one that I found on uh, about this and this category, like you have White Claw, you have um, ranch water, you've got all the different like hard seltzer, you know, type, type folks. Um, truly, um, there's like every single beer manufacturer has gotten into the space now because, uh, the name of the game in this industry is regulation and compliance. And the difference between manufacturing and selling and distributing beer and liquor is light years difference in terms of the regulatory environment. So there is a kind of loophole, so to speak, that a lot of these manufacturers find, and it's in these ready-to-drink and ready-to-serve categories. So it's different. You can sell it at the grocery store. You can go buy White Claw or Truly or, you know, any of these others at the grocery store, which is not typically the case in most states if there's liquor as a component of it. So ready-to-drink I think is canned version and maybe ready to serve as some other kind of pre-mix. Like maybe, I don't know for sure, but it might be like a larger format that gets, you know, poured into something in a bar. Um, but that's, that's the difference. Yeah. So I Googled it ready to drink as a pre-mixed alcohol beverage, popularly a malt based beverage sold in single serve containers, ready to drink. 
Ready to serve stands for, is RTS, and generally denotes a pre-mixed cocktail beverage that could be poured in several servings. So I guess if you're a bar, you don't want to buy single serving. You want to buy it ready to be poured out of a, a jug or a keg or whatever it comes out of. It's similar to, you would think about it in terms of like the like bag in a box wine, you know, where you're kind of changing the medium and the rules sometimes change, you know, al- alongside that. Okay. So I live in California and um, we don't, we, we buy everything at the grocery store. So I forget sometimes that, uh, that there's these regulations and, and you can buy hard liquor, you can buy everything, wine, beer, everything at the grocery store here. I met a guy here in Texas who basically they have the contract to put the auxiliary liquor stores next to the Costco's, which is its own separate liquor only store, Mm -hmm. but it's like a little like thousand square foot add on. It's just like, oh, what a great, (laughs) what a great scheme to be part of. So yeah, I didn't think about Costco. Yeah, we Costco is where people buy their liquor. (laughs) Yeah, here, you know, the big quantity. Yeah. Uh, Texas, we have some backwards laws. I mean, we Texas like talks a big game about how like free trade and all this stuff. And then we have like some really unfree trade, like liquor laws. Like you have to go through these distributors. And we've talked about how, you know, my ancestors decided to sell explosives on the side of the roads and their ancestors decided to sell, you know, become liquor distributors. And it's like, oh man, (laughs) I want to go back and shake them. Be like, guys, Red ocean versus the blue, blue ocean. laws Let's are go. fascinating, though, because like in South Carolina, at, at the statewide level, you cannot own more than three liquor stores. So, hmm. you know, all the mom and pops, they don't care. It's just one. But the biggest liquor stores in South Carolina, they have a location in Charleston. They have a location in Columbia and they have a location in Greenville. That's and it. they're only allowed three. Yeah. Wow. And I don't know if you brand them differently, if you can call it something else, but I'm pretty sure you can't. I, like there's there's very, very specific rules around it. Um, but it's it is like Michael said, states have these different distribution models. But the the way that it typically has worked and the way that the blue laws have evolved is that the federal government and state government did not want brewers or distributors or distillers, sorry, selling directly to customers. So you like tasting rooms at breweries, those have only been around in South Carolina for like less than 10 years. So all the breweries from an economic standpoint were very limited. Then all of a sudden they could start to sell a pint or maybe two pints on premise if they had a kitchen and served food. So Mm -hmm. state by state, it varies very, very drastically. But distilleries have a much harder battle at the federal level because of all that compliance. I met with a guy who uh, who was in this space and um, he was just kind of complaining and venting about the fact that every single ounce of their manufacturing process has to be, you know, incredibly just documented down, literally down to the ounce. And they could be audited at any time and have to be able to account like there's no, you know, just random, hey, this stuff spilled or somebody came and tasted it or, you know, we, we slipped some out of the back. Uh, so it's very arduous process. Um, vodkas is interesting. Just really quick, vodkas are interesting because they're they're you can make them so quickly compared to whiskey and brown liquor that has to age. Uh, okay, so I have two, two anecdotes for you, or one fact, one anecdote. So you talk about like here in Texas, we used to have the same thing where you could only own five stores or something like that under an individual. So there was a family here in San Antonio. It was, it was like a huge family, 
And like suddenly you, they looked up and I was like, how do these guys have like 80 stores and they're all under the same brand? Well, it turned out when you double clicked under it, like every cousin, uncle, nephew, like the grandma, everybody oh, owned, own. everybody owned mm-hmm. five stores. And that's how it all went down. Like that's how they got around the, the idea of creating a big chain. I do think it is interesting looking into the vodka space. Have you guys ever looked at like the study of how vodka is made and like the difference between expensive vodka and cheap vodka? Have you ever looked at this? Okay. So this is, this is one that'll blow your mind. Vodka is different than tequila or different than whiskey or some of the other spirits, which is they're basically all identical. Like there is no difference between Tito's and other stuff. Uh, once they reach a certain level of goodness, like they, they can taste a little different, like Smirnoff may put in, or what is it? Absolute is the one that may like flavor the vodkas and stuff like mm-hmm. that all happens. But except for once you reach a certain level of impurities, like they're all identical. Like there's not, there's no sub- substantive difference just because of the way it's made. So, and I think it was like three or four years ago, like there was a story about a study that had been done about different vodkas and they actually went and compared the impurities and see, saw if that like correlated to how expensive the vodkas were. And they discovered like, you know, like remember, you know, the pop-off vodka that used to buy like in a handle, like, like that, you know what I'm talking about? Like you guys went to college, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so, so it was I didn't like buy this, the liquor though. I, I was a girl, so I didn't buy it. Oh, Okay. So anyway, we, we would, uh, being the degenerate that I am, we would go buy this, you know, as college kids and, uh, cause it was cheap and you get it in this handle, but like it turned out when they did the studies of impurities of the different vodkas, like it was actually one of the most pure vodkas of all of them. Like there was very little to no correlation of price versus stuff. And some of like the over the top, like Ciroc and stuff like that, it was like junk. It was like full of impurities. Um, but it all tastes basically the same. So that's the crazy thing about vodka is like, there's this huge differentiation. People are like, no, I, I like the way Tito's tastes. It's like, no, it's the same crap. It may be even worse just because they put like gold flakes in it or something stupid. Anyway, that's my vodka story. So it's for all you. marketing. It that just says it's all marketing. And that's, I guess what I was thinking about this deal is super fast, super premium. There's a brand here and there's mm-hmm. only one year of financials. Yeah. Well, let me let me so. actually read them. <laughs> so sorry. Uh, so yeah, in 2021, the- <laughs> which is, it's kind of odd. We're in 2023 now, and that's the only one year of financials. Um, in 2021, which I guess was peak pandemic, and people were sitting at their house getting their drink on, um, they <laughs> sold 7.3 million of product revenue-wise. EBITDA was listed at 1.7 million, and EBITDA margin was 23%. They are located here in the United States, and then they list the different... Um, the different industries that they're in. They're a distillery and a wholesaler of beverages. So yeah, I, I think that's interesting how they're like, they're telling us very little about this and also very little about free cash flow. Like these are hugely capital intensive businesses. Um, and it, it was interesting. I Especially saw, the initial, the initial startup cost is just multiple millions of dollars. So there's, there's a, you know, there was a business that, you know, I know of and like they had a very popular like beer brand and they came to me and they're like, we have this great beer brand, right? And like, here's how we have it done. We're a virtual brewery. So we just go and use excess capacity in these different breweries and they bottle it. And then as we need it, like we call them up and they make us new batches and we sell it to our stuff. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like you fixed the brewing, everything, like no CapEx. You don't have to have a bunch of capital invested. You can scale up like almost infinitely and you can use other people's 
uh, excess supply. And they came to me and they're like, okay, we're raising money. We want to build a brewery and a restaurant and a tasting room <laughs> and like take on all this CapEx. We're going to have minimum yada, yada. And I was like, why are you doing that? Like you have the most beautiful business in the whole world. And you want to build a party house? Like, and take on all this CapEx and like go from a beautiful cash conversion cycle to a terrible one. And um, anyway, so they uh, they didn't really like that investment feedback I gave them. <laughs> they went and built it anyway. <laughs> well, at the, at the last uh, bank that I worked for, we had a vertical that was focused on distilleries and breweries. And, uh, you know, what, what we learned is that it attracts a lot of people just because that sounds fun, you know, and they don't, they kind of put the blinders on and they don't think about yeah. the business really they are not sober about it. No, that's just a joke. <laughs> Heather, Heather. <laughs> uh, and I just think there, there is a little, it's interesting how that happens. And, and, and there's also a lot of wealthy people who get into wineries and things like that more as a hobby. And you, you find that a lot of them really aren't very successful uh, on the bottom line. But this one, I kind of wonder what happened in 22, because then the bars all really kind of filled back up, right? So you'd think that 22 would be good and they'd want to show it, but we don't see it here. Yeah. I mean, in theory, these guys are selling into bars because they have on-premise versus off-premise channel split. So on-premise is 65% of their business. So potentially that's good that they're selling at bars and restaurants. And I believe these ready-to-drink and ready-to-serve categories, they can be sold by people with a beer and wine license and not just a spirit license, which is a distinction. Mm -hmm. To have here, right? Like at least here in Texas, liquor is, if you sell liquor, you're like basically borderline criminal. That's the way the police look at you. Uh, and if you sell beer and wine, you're like, okay, well, you're like an upstanding business, like a, I don't know, like a Chili's or something like that. <laughs> one other, one other weird blue law thing is that, you know, certain states have different uh, alcohol limit thresholds. Like if you go to Utah, which is a very religious state uh, for Mormons, the there's like the beer cannot have like over, I want to say it's like a 2.8% ABV. So all the beer is just watered down from an alcohol standpoint. And it's like Bud Light, but like also there's no like high gravity beers there. There's no, you know, craft beers with high alcohol mm -hmm. content because they just are saying, Hey, look from a, from a, you know, legislative standpoint, we just want, don't want people to get drunk as easily. And we're going to, we're going to mandate that and dictate that. So you got to think, right? Part of the value of this when you're underwriting this particular brand and this deal is, okay, what is their, what is their brand and is it valuable? Yeah. That is ultimately going to be based on like brand awareness and their gross margin. If it's a really popular brand, they should command a higher gross margin. But then the biggest kind of criteria for these types of businesses is distribution. They say they have great, you know, great distribution relationships nationally, which would be a big deal. But what's, when the rubber meets the road, how good are those relationships? Are they getting distributed in all the markets that they can and should? And could they even keep up with right growth? That That's a big question here. If, like Michael said, if they're using their own facilities and using their own distillery and they're at capacity, all of a sudden, if you want to grow this thing to 10 or $12 million in revenue, you probably have to spend a few million bucks. And not all of that really gets, you know, gets through to the bottom line right away. And your return on invested capital could be fairly low if you have to make a huge CapEx jump. So, I mean, here's what I know about the way this kind of spirits market works, right? Basically, 
Like you have the big liquor brands and big spirits brands, and they watch the market to see when there's emerging trends and what's going to be hot. And they go and they snap up the winner, right? So like ranch water, I guess, was the most recent one. You guys, have you guys tried ranch water? Do you like it? No? I've just seen the commercials when I watch Yellowstone. Uh <laughs> Uh, so ranch they have water, yellow, they have the Yellowstone actors, you know, market it. It's a great idea. Ranch water is great, right? It's actually um, it's basically seltzer water with uh, basically alcohol in it and just a tinge of sweetness. So think Bartles and James, mm. Heather, for our generation, oh, but no. not as sweet. Oh, please don't bring back that memory. <laughs> uh, okay, Zima. Think about Zima. Okay, Zima. Zima. Yeah, okay. like it's, that sounds it, better. It's basically Zima, but not as sweet. So anyway, okay, like, Zima's back because okay. this is a brand-driven business where you have Tito's or you know Budweiser or Absolute Vodka or Ciroc or whatever. Like these big conglomerates who have all the shelf space and and the leverage over the retailers, wait to see what brand is going to become a thing, and. They that becomes a winner. They go pay big money for it, and they make it even more of a winner by applying their leverage onto the retailers, right? And they can go to like local local grocery store chain here, HEB, and say, HEB, we're the only thing just as big as you, and this is the deal that we need in order for you to have Tito's on your shelf or whatever, ranch water. So that sounds great if you're the winner of these emerging brands, right? And they will see entrepreneurs like this start these emerging brands. The problem is, well, what if what about the rest of the stuff, right? The losers. What's the number four vodka beyond beyond the one that I just talked about, right? Smeared off absolute, you know, Tito's like number four. Who cares? Nobody cares, right? When it's just a winner take most market because you get that that brand idea inside of your brain and that's what you buy. And so I think that's the problem here is like, what are you buying here? Like you're buying problems. You're buying a distillery. You're buying a bunch of CapEx. You're hoping that you're going to, you know, be cash flow positive and you're buying a brand that isn't really much of anything in the face of brands that are going to be growing and coming after you. So anyway, I love to steal otherwise. <laughs> and back to, and back to what I th- said earlier, you're, you're maybe buying the prestige of telling your friends and colleagues yeah. that you own the blah, blah, blah brand of, of vodka. And I, I do think that's a big part of this industry is just being able to talk about it. Yeah. There's a, I once bid on a building here, by the way, cause I was going to move one of my companies into it. And, uh, I lost out uh, by 10% to a couple of eye doctors who wanted to start a whiskey brand. And that's still a money losing whiskey brand. That's, that's the standard here. Maybe that's, that's the right buyer for this. Do you want to have fun right. and like tell people you own a distillery and write checks every month to keep it afloat? Sounds great. <laughs> go have some fun. Yeah. yeah. And have I a place to go hang out with, you know, your friends or people who you think are your friends. Ask us how we really feel about it. (laughs) I have some friends that did precisely this that were doing pretty well for a few years before COVID. And they were like, we're going to go open our own whiskey brand. And for them, the fun was like designing the the distillery, like doing the design. They like traveled around and did like whiskey tasting in Kentucky. And like, I don't know, where else do you go? Scotland, I guess. I don't know where people go to get whiskey. Uh, but like they would just like they were just having a ball just with the creative aspect of it. And they were convinced they were going to make money. But anyway, they never put it over the finish line. But they were precisely that. It was like a lifestyle type. It wasn't just a lifestyle brand. It was a lifestyle opportunity for them. So if you want to have fun, like go for it. No problem. Did I talk you guys out of this well, one? Or? <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I think 
we talk about this pretty much every episode, but buyer business fit. Yeah. I think this is a really, really difficult business for somebody to buy who's not already in this space. And we, you know, highlighted probably a half dozen reasons why that's why that's the case and why it would be an uphill battle. Can you SBA loan this stuff? Heather, there's no there's You no... could. I mean, it's not too big. Um, you you could go SBA and, and like I said, we had a vertical at my last uh, bank that uh, did a lot of SBA loans in distilleries and uh and breweries. And so you you could I I think um you need like a specialized SBA lender who understands that space because I think most would probably shy away from it for all the reasons we just discussed. Uh but the right buyer could get an SBA loan for this, yeah. There you go. Well, then you could personally guarantee the opportunity to write checks to this every single month. <laughs> Even that enhances the fun, right? You know, the fun that you're having with all those tastings. Now you've got the PG on the line. You're, so you're excited every day. Every day. I don't know. This is, this would be a tough one for me. If you drink a lot of vodka, maybe that, uh, that moderates the risk that you're going to lose your house. It helps. It helps. <laughs> I've heard. It's a lot of vodka. <laughs> Uh, All right. Well, we'll we'll wrap up here. This was a good one. (laughs) And uh, like I said, we we should have done it at five o'clock and it would have been more lively and we could have had a a Truly or a uh, White Claw. Wait, you guys aren't drunk right now? (laughs) It's 830 in the morning. You guys haven't been drinking? (laughs) Uh, Well, and kudos to Axial, right? Like people ask a lot of times, like, where can I find deals that are more like banked deals and not kind of not to pick have on to dig through so much yeah, yeah. like the, just the like uh the the country chicken fried steak restaurant and and you know bfe like where can i find those tiny deals and axial is a great place to go through and kind of see what's out there and make sure you understand what's going on so they're at axial.net so i i i love it i like their model too that you don't have to pay as a buyer until you actually do a deal like i think that's some good stuff so anywho okay all right time to click stop that's a wrap All right. Thanks, Mike.